Welcome to this podcast from The Well, a United Methodist Church in Rosemount, Minnesota. Thank you for taking the time to listen. For more information, please check us out at thewellmn.church. Grace and peace be with you. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning and welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Ed, and I am honored to be with you in worship on this first Sunday of Advent. Christmas is coming, and I am so excited. I hope you are too. A lot of good things are happening. Let's go through our announcements here. Our Wednesday night dinners. Got another one this week. Baked ham, cheesy potatoes. You can't beat that. And, of course, some ice cream. Hope that you join us. If you've never been to one of these, please join us at least once. It's just so much fun. Um, everybody that comes seems to have a good time. And there's something afterwards for everybody. There is pickleball, there is choir, um, there's activities for children and for youth, and choir practice. And then there's a group that meets in the chapel that is asking the question, what does it mean for our congregation to be affirming? Uh, we are a uh, reconciling congregation, and that was a big decision the congregation made in 2019. But we're still kind of wrestling with, well, what does that mean? What does it look like from day to day? And how does that affect us as we go about our other ministries? So that's a very important group this meeting, and I hope that you'll join us for that if you'd like to. What else do we have? Holiday schedule. Uh, today, the Rosemont Community Band here at 4 o'clock. Are they in this sanctuary, Brian, or are they they're in, the, in the gym? So hope that you can join us for that. The Well Christmas concert coming up on the 16th at 7 p.m. And this year, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. So the question was, do we have two services on Sunday morning and then two in the afternoon? And we've decided no. What we're going to do is have one service on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. So that's a change for all of you. If you get here at 9, we'll just have a nice chat. It'll be fine. <laughs> we'll have one service at 10 combined between the two musical styles, and that will be our fourth Sunday in Advent. Um, Miles and Sensi are going to be coming up in a little bit. Not, not yet, don't worry. <laughs> uh, to light our Advent wreath, the first candle. This is a great tradition. I'd like to get you to light the Advent wreath. If you have any interest in this at all, please see me afterwards. I'll get you scheduled. I've got a clipboard. If I come running up to you, yes, I'm cornering you so you can run away or you can, <laughs> you can uh, decide as I'm talking to you. Our food pantry challenge. Are we doing a children's message usually? That's children's. We probably won't be doing a children's message. The last I heard, we were 1,200 pounds. Has that changed, Jim? There's more out there. And we're looking to get to 2,024 pounds and 2,024 dollars. Uh, I'll find out this week how many dollars have come in, but we're over halfway for sure with the poundage. And so we hope that you can donate. I hope we can hit 3,000 pounds. Wouldn't that be great to help the food shelf that way? Um, and the fun is when we get there, I let the kids shave my head. And then I have somebody bring Band-Aids because sometimes, well... <laughs> And then during Advent, we have special offerings. And I don't know all of these ministries. Wick, Wick Monk, I'll need to find out more about him. Uh, Pastor Greg, who was here and preached uh, a few months ago. 
and Mobility Worldwide, which is a great ministry, um, bringing, hard to describe these carts. Let's bring one to church some Sunday so we can look at them and talk about that. We'd love to have you make a donation. There are envelopes in the pew, and there are envelopes at the information desk. If you want to make a dollar donation to the food shelf, you could just write on the envelope food shelf, and we'll make sure it gets where it's going. So a lot of good opportunities there. What else do we have? Our theme for yes, our theme for Advent, a little child shall lead them. We'll talk about in the sermon. Um, is it's, it's paradoxical. Who's going to follow a child? You know, how does a child lead us, and what does that mean? We'll come to that in the scriptures today when we unpack Jeremiah. We are divided within ourselves with too much to do, too many people to impress, and too many demands on our attention. We create and celebrate many unholy divisions, rich and poor, black and white, young and old, are legal and eagle, illegal, progressive or conservative. Give us peace. Too often the peace we find is shallow and soothes our anxieties for just a moment. Fill us with a peace that grasps the soul and won't let go. Give us a peace large enough to hold all of your creation, O God, for it is then we will truly begin to live. Bless us with your peace. So this week, as we light candles, say prayers, and enter these last, these beginning days of Advent, give us a simple gift, O God, a little child we can follow. Awaken us to your peace. Amen. You may be seated, and I invite Miles and Sensia to come forward with their family to be our first Advent candle lighters. Jesus Christ is the true light coming into the world. We light candles for the four weeks leading to Christmas and reflect on the coming of Christ. Christ is coming. Our eager expectation of his arrival gives us hope to face the future. And so we light the first candle, the candle of hope. Our longing for peace, for healing, and well-being is as strong as our longing for the coming of Christ. As we get ready for Advent, for Christmas during Advent, there's anticipation, there's celebration, there's cookies, there's decorating, there's presents, there's trees, there's lights. What a blessing. And yet, when I turn to the news, it doesn't feel like Advent this Prince of Peace coming this time of celebration, this time of good cheer and goodwill among people. I turn to the news and I see this killing. I see the bombing. I see the fighting. I hear about the hostages and the terror. And I can't even begin to comprehend. And as I was preparing for today, I said, how do we hold these two things in hand? The coming of the Christ child and the brutality of the world. The scriptures, as often is the case, gave me the answer. 
And I've got a scripture reading. You can pull that up now. That's four verses. And they're beautiful, and I will get to them. But as I looked at them, I said, this is disconnected from what's happening in the world and even what's happening in Jeremiah's lifetime. This is disembodied. It's disconnected from everything in the world that we know. It's kind of Pollyannish. And the last thing I want to do as a preacher is to ignore the problems of this world and the troubles that we face. And I thank Jeremiah for what he's given me here. I'm going to read the verses that come before this. I didn't tell them about this in advance, so they're not going to be on the screen, but that's okay. Jeremiah was a prophet in Jerusalem about the time the Babylon, well, at the time the Babylonians were coming to conquer the city. We've talked about when the Assyrians came and they captured the ten tribes in the north, the ten lost tribes of Israel. We talked about how they circled Jerusalem but couldn't get in, changed history because the, the city of Jerusalem held out. Judaism was saved. History was transformed in the 700 B.C. era. Amazing story. About 140 years later, and they're having the same problem. It's not Assyrians this time who've come south, but the Babylonians. The Babylonians, if you're going to be conquered by somebody, were much better than Assyrians. Assyrians were about steal and burn and kill and destroy without regard for anyone. And Babylonians do that too, to an extent. But when Babylonians conquer a city, they try to sustain it by only taking out its leaders. Any politician, any lawyer, any priest, anyone who has a good education that's leading the people is taken into exile in Babylon. And they bring in people from other cities they've conquered and intermix them. It's this interesting story, and that's what's going to happen to Jerusalem. The city is going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be torn down. The gold in the temple is going to be robbed. That's about to happen. When Jeremiah writes this, they are literally all the way around Jerusalem. And of course the people are praying for a miracle. Save us like when the Assyrians were here. Somehow, Lord, let this be, you know, a turning point where good things are going to happen. And Jeremiah says that's not going to happen. The Lord is going to let this city be destroyed. Happy Advent. <laughs> so let me read the verses he writes about this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, proclaims about the houses of this city and the palaces of the kings of Judah that were torn down to defend against the siege ramps and weapons. So what he's saying is all those houses and the palaces that were in the city inside the walls, they've torn those all down because they're using all those materials to reinforce the walls to try and keep the Babylonians out, so they've already dismantled their city. They will be filled, these houses 
will be filled with the corpses of those slain in my fierce anger. I hid my face from this people of this city because of all their evil deeds. Thus says the Lord, I am hiding my face from you, I'm turning my back to you, and I'm letting the Babylonians have their way. That's not good news. When Jeremiah preaches like this, they arrest him, they put him in jail, and he's actually writing this in prison. Nobody wants to hear that, Jeremiah. Give us something we can hope for. And it gets better, but it only gets better within this context of saying, it's not going to change. Things will get better eventually, but not for you. The worst that's going to happen is still to come. I've got some paintings here today. I'm sorry, I'm doing this a little out of order. Brian, if you could pull up the first one. There's a painting of the Babylonians getting into Jerusalem and destroying the temple. Of course, we don't know exactly what it looked like. But the idea is that there was destruction and mayhem. There was killing. There was great grieving. The next slide is a painting of what the Jerusalem looked like just after the siege. The city torn down and people in mourning. The third image comes not from the Babylonian destruction to the city, but this happens in 587 BC and 600 years later, 70 AD, just after the time of Christ, the Romans are going to do the same thing. The Romans are going to get into the city and tear the darn thing down, raid the temple, steal the gold, enslave the people. This is General Titus of the Roman legions. He comes back to Jerusalem and they have a giant parade and Boy, those Romans were something. They built this Arch of Titus. I didn't put a picture of the whole arch. Go back a second. The Arch of Titus, you can still see to this day. And if you walk inside of the arch and look up, you see this carving. That's a carving of Roman soldiers carrying the menorah out of the temple. The devastation. What happened? It's the same problem Jeremiah is having, but it's 600 years later. The next picture is some statues I found in Rome that are a reproduction of a Turkish statue. Now, a Turkish artist made this in Turkey to remember a battle in his country that I know nothing about. But do you see what's unusual about this statue? Next slide. Look who's in front of the soldiers. A mother and her child. Look who's about to get trampled. I don't know any details of what happened that day in Turkey. This artist is commemorating it. But it's the same thing that happened in Jerusalem in five 87 BC, it's the same thing that happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD. It's the dang same thing that's happening today. Cities are being destroyed. Women and children are being killed. Even if it's not intentional, it still happens. 
Where can we find the good news in this? Where can we find something to celebrate? Jeremiah gives us that too. Verse 7. I will bring back the captives of Judah and Israel, and I will rebuild them as they were at first. Now, he's going to bring them back, but sorry, people, it's not this generation. (laughs) That'll happen in the future. I will cleanse them all the wrongdoing they committed against me, and I will forgive them all their guilt and rebellion. Then this city will bring me great joy, praise, and renown before all the nations of the earth when they hear all the good I provide for them. They will be in total awe at all the great good and the prosperity I will provide for them. I could read more. There's more back and forth between destruction and hope. After he tells the people of Jerusalem all that, he gives them today's scripture. And if we just read this, we could walk out of here feeling, oh, that's a good story. I like that one. I like that text. We all know this. It's so Advent-like, coming of the Christ. But within the context it was originally written and within the context we hear today, it has a double meaning. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill my gracious promise with the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous branch from David's line who will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is what the Lord will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord proclaims David will always have one of his descendants sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests will always have someone in the presence, in my presence, to make entirely burned offerings and grain offerings and to present sacrifices. It's interesting that Jeremiah would say somebody's always going to be on David's throne because that's just about to not happen. King, I think it's Zedekiah in Jeremiah's lifetime, is about to be killed. His children are about to be killed. David's line is going to come to a hard stop. What happens to the promises of God then when he says there will always be someone from the house of David on the throne See, the interesting thing to me is this promise that, sure, a lot of bad things are going to happen, but in the future, I'm going to restore a king to be on David's throne. I just have to think to myself, that's how we got in all this trouble in the first place. We had good kings. We had bad kings. We've talked about them in previous Sundays, haven't we? And the bad they did was more than the good that they could do. And the people are going to be punished with the Babylonians. And now you tell us you're going to give us another king, and this one's going to be good. This is why I like the Christian understanding of this text. We understand this text to be fulfilled in the birth of Christ, a descendant of David. The king of kings, the prince of peace, who sits on the throne forever. I take great comfort in that. I take great hope in that. And even in a time of great sadness that we have in our world today, I have to live with this challenge of faith. 
does the sadness and despair of the current time cancel out all hope? No. Does hope make all that suffering just disappear? No. We are called as Christians to live with this dichotomy, with this balance in our lives between recognizing the suffering of the present and the hope of the future. That's Advent for me. Recognizing we have this imperfect world and we wait for a better one. That's the promise of the coming of the child who will lead us. Children can't lead. Children are too weak. Children are too uneducated. Children are too whatever to lead anybody. And that's the great paradox that God is putting before us. The new king won't be like the old kings. He won't rule with power and might and cannons and great fortresses. The new king will rule with love and kindness, with humility and service. That's who I wait for the coming, the birth of that Christ into the world. Do it every year, and every year I need it again. Christ is coming. That's the good news. Can I get an amen? Shirley, there you are. Shirley, God bless you, Shirley. After I finished all the temple talk, she came up and says, I got something to say. <laughs> come on up, come on up. I appreciate your volunteering, and I look forward to hearing your message. Good morning. My name is Shirley Alquist, and I want to tell you why I love this church. But first, I have to tell you a little story. When my son was a single dad in Wisconsin, he took his child, his little boy, and he went to the local Methodist church. And he walked in the front door, and he walked all the way through the church and through the kitchen and out the back door. And nobody said anything to him. He never went back. Now, I love this church because we are surrounded by love and support and caring. We have received prayer shawls, uncountable meals, visits, rides to import important appointments, cards, help with house projects. Thanks, Tom Montgomery. We are surrounded by love and caring. This is home. Amen. Come to the Lord's table, all you who love him. Come to the Lord's table and confess your sin. Come to the Lord's table and be at peace. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to you, Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to praise you, Lord. It is a right and good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Holy Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
From the rising of the sun to its setting, your name is praised among all peoples. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with your people on earth and all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed Lord, in remembrance all you've done to save us, we offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Then Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The gifts of God have been prepared for the people of God. Please come by the instructions of the ushers and receive the body and blood of Christ. Amen. Now may the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, who is Jesus the Christ, strengthen you and keep you in faith now and forever. Amen. May Christ go with you as you leave today. Amen.